This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited for today because we just had Jeff Myers, CEO of Zonda, in the studio. What a great conversation. What a force Jeff Myers is. Yeah, no kidding. This was a great conversation. It's worth noting Zonda Urban. Everyone yes. will know past guest fan favorite, John Benest. And previously, Michael Ferreira. This is Zonda, the larger parent company. So this Jeff Myers- bought- Urban Analytics, which a lot of people will remember right. Urban Analytics. And they have livable.com as well. This is a big show for us. And this is a super interesting one. Well, you know what? I love this show for so many reasons, but just quickly to highlight for people that don't know Zonda, because they are a major player kind of coast to coast in the US. Zonda was a national platform. Basically what they're doing is providing data to the residential home building industry, trying to basically simplify the process of accessing critical insights in the housing market. And they came here they bought BuzzBuzz Buzz Home, which out was of Toronto. out of Toronto. Yeah. They bought Urban Analytics. Urban Analytics. And then they married the two into what now is Livable, which is essentially a listing site for new construction, but backed by the data of Zonda and, and Urban, Urban Analytics. Well, yeah, Urban, or or Zonda was, Urban. <laughs> Zonda Urban, exactly. So it's, it's really, it's such a fascinating company. It's really interesting from the new construction perspective. And it sounds like they are in every major city in uh, now in North America. And, and there's a couple interesting things about this. One is, you know, it's he's just a fascinating guy. Right. Second is the data that Jeff sees and brings to the table and his, you know, he's born in North Vancouver, but lived in California a long time. So coming back to Vancouver, the insights about our market and what the data is showing is really interesting. But last, and we've talked a lot about data companies, technology companies from outside of Canada having trouble coming into this marketplace. This is the first time I feel like there's a real disruption potentially happening in the new home space. Mm -hmm. And these guys are it. This is, this is really interesting and we'll see how, where that goes. But Jeff outlines a lot of what the future looks like. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. We should say also, Jeff is from North Van. That's right. Originally uh, has spent a lot of his life in the United States serial entrepreneur. Um, so outside of just talking about the market, which he has some great insights into North American real estate, Vancouver real estate, there's just lots of great insights just in general from building businesses and that sort of thing. Uh, he's got a fascinating story and uh, it was really fun talking to him. Yeah. I, well, I said to you after, you know, it's, we're often talking to to regional players. It's really great. And, and the, all the insight into Vancouver and, and local markets is great. But like Jeff is a guy who's you know recently bought a company or his companies recently bought a company in India, recently bought a company in Quebec. Right. They are global and the complexities of that, I think, come out in this conversation. It's really and it's interesting. interesting, his take on Vancouver and just how, I think in his words, how sophisticated 
the Vancouver market is. He knew his audience, I think. <laughs> yeah, at the very least. So Matt, what else do we got before we cut to our interview with Jeff? What else do we got? We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and we usually talk about this at the end of the show, but I just wanted to point out the new site is up. One thing that somebody pointed out to me that I, I hadn't really thought of, but of course it's a feature, is we have a back catalog now going back pretty close to a decade, eight years, and you can go back and search certain topics on the site now and find relevant episodes in the back catalog, right. which is super useful. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Of course, Adam, we have the sold plan there as well. And I feel like you do a good job outlining exactly what that looks like. The sold plan. So sold is an acronym for start on launch date. So, and you work your way backwards. So the, the best thing about this document, it's, it's, it's brief, but it's got a lot of great information on it. Essentially, you pick when you want to launch your listing and it gives you like a two-week kind of crash course on how to get your property ready for market. It's based on our almost coming up on two decades of experience of real estate and getting uh, those properties sold. Getting those properties sold. So uh, these are the best tips and um, definitely check that out. You can go under sell with us, I believe is the button. Sell with us is the button and it actually now comes up when you sign up. Right. It's just there. You don't have to wait for it. It's there, the sold plan. It's great. And last but not least, Adam, we have two new listing videos we're shooting later on today. I've talked at length about your directorial debut <laughs> on Instagram, but now you're a seasoned, you're like the Martin Scorsese of, of Vancouver real estate, at least Look on the Instagram. same age. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least physically. But this is all going up on Instagram. I feel like we've, we've done a lot of changes with our format on videos over the last couple of weeks, but right. I think we're finding a groove here. It's starting to work. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. But uh, it's funny too, because... I just want to go out because speaking of being on video, man, I don't know what's going on with this weather, but I've had a few harder, uh, like pushing myself a bit at the gym and then you run hot all day. And I've basically, and this happened with this the is worth, this is worth pointing this out. Is, yeah. This happened yesterday with the interview with Jeff, but he must've been looking at me going, Jeff this guy's was about to literally, die. So our studio, the Kokomo studios is hot. We like to keep it hot in here. Uh, <laughs> it's, by speaking, it's by design, put him in the hot seat. But Jeff was wearing like, like a sports, a sport coat. He looked, yeah, he yeah, looked he professional. Like, he was like the Silicon Valley CEO uh, yeah. look. You were wearing a t-shirt and dabbing your forehead the entire time. I, I think there's a yeah. reason why you didn't want to I do video. I looked like I just ate like a, like one of those exotic <laughs> jalapeno peppers <laughs> or something, like a, like a certain, like I was like combusting. He must've been like, I got to get out of here. These you guys are. told him, but I feel like he didn't buy it. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was rough. Anyways, I'm in the same boat today, so can't wait to film these listing videos. Without further ado, Matt, our conversation with Jeff Myers. I loved this conversation. What an impressive guy. CEO of Zonda. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. 
And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Marcon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Jeff Myers, CEO of Zonda. How are you doing, Jeff? Really good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. We've mentioned this before, but had a ton of people in the, the development community and in Vancouver recommend that we have you on the program. And I know you're from North Vancouver, so looking forward to getting into it. So um, can we start maybe by telling, uh, having, having you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I, I grew up in North Vancouver, went to Carson Graham High, kind of a serial entrepreneur growing up. So I had lawnmower businesses, painting, window cleaning, all kinds of different companies. Not necessarily successful, but that's kind of where I got started. I went to college in San Diego State, um, decided to go down there, meet up with a friend. It's a great party school. Uh, <laughs> I told my dad it was a great business school. And um, after graduating from college, I did an internship through the business school at San Diego State and met up with a developer and uh, did that for about a year and then... He hit a big home run in Phoenix and because he had a lot of capital, said, hey, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to start a data company serving home building. So he financed my first company. Um, and that was in the 80s. And then um, grew that throughout um, Southern California into the Western U.S. states. And then 1996, we raised about $20 million, decided we were going to acquire you know, all the little data companies across the country. And their first, we were the first real national data platform in the U.S. serving home building. I always think of realtors that have been in the business a long time. They talk about like the old MLS books. Right. I think I'm picturing like the 80s. Uh, yes. How were you acquiring <laughs> the data? <laughs> yeah, we were, um, that's a great question. We started out uh, with clipboards and pen and paper, surveying, driving communities and and uh, so forth. And also visiting the municipalities to pick up, you know, pipeline data. And then we key it into a PC, and then we, it was a breakthrough, but it was the laser jet printer just can't come out. So we were able to print these books. And you're right. In the end, we had a book, basically a print shop. And I'll never forget one of the interesting meetings I had with B of A and the head of real estate for B of A said, oh, when did your dad start the company? I said, no, no, I started it. <laughs> and he said, I can't believe it because I have had to buy so many bookshelves because of all your data. Because, you know, even the San Diego County data set was the size of a telephone. Right. Book. It's like a and whole so you can office. think about what the Western U.S. looked like. And so we, I think we did books through the late 90s. And as the internet developed, um, we were able to, you know, close that down and get rid of the books. But clients, I'm telling you, getting rid of the books was really hard. Like getting people to go from paper to a software platform was was a big move. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, a couple questions. One is just going back to to the North Vancouver roots. Sounds like an entrepreneurial spirit from day day dot. What do you attest that that entrepreneurial spirit uh, to? Was it in the family, or did you just? Yeah, my dad was um, he was a senior executive at Bentall Group, 
So he was uh, the president of Benthal Construction. Oh, okay. And prior to that, Dillingham. So he, he had sort of that entrepreneurial mind as well. You know, a lot of the friends that I hung out with, we all tried to experiment. And I, and I think, you know, I think Vancouver curates a lot of entrepreneurs. If you think of, you know, all the successes that have come out of Vancouver, it's it's pretty remarkable. And it's just, you know, it's it's this community environment. It's an urban, you know, kind of enterprising city that I think gets people really excited. So I think that was it. I, I you know, I'd go downtown. I mean, early on, a, a good friend of mine, Neil Crystal, who runs Polygon, uh, his brother and I started a disco business. And we go down, <laughs> crazy, mobile disco. It was it was a disaster. A mobile <laughs> disco. And so we go down to A and B Sound back in the day and, you know, buy that equipment. And we were always looking for the next best equipment. And, you know, it, it, back in the days, that equipment would never, like, go loud enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was it was a disaster. But anyway, it was one of the many companies that we tried to start. So you would set up at people's yes. homes or yeah. community centers and that, like, why go yeah. to the disco and we can come to you? Exactly. It was, it was huge. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, you'd never heard of it. So Eight it guys are like, no, no, we want to go to the disco. We don't want <laughs> yeah, you to come yeah. to No, it was, uh, it was Andrew uh, Crystal, who's Neil's brother, but it was oh, that's uh, funny. Yeah. Those were back in the days. And, and I'm, I'm curious because clearly, you know, you're, you're entrepreneurial, you transition into into real estate or data uh, or collection, data collection, but yeah. you know, in, in real estate, what uh, well, I'm curious actually for, from both sides, how do you get interested in, in data? How do you get interested in, in real estate and which was kind of more the driver or was it just a gap you recognized? Really a com- combination of both, you know, as an intern at San Diego state, you interviewed with securities firms, you know, the Xerox IBMs. And what I found is, you know, they had to pick you and you picked them. And I wasn't chosen by many of the big corporations because I, I guess one, I didn't have the grades, and two, I was probably a little bit out of the box. And, and then I also determined that I like computers and technology, but I don't want to sit in front of a screen all day. And the exciting part about real estate is you get to go visit physical, you know, houses and things like that. And that excited me. I right. love real estate. So the combination worked out well because we were technology was just moving. I really love technology and then real estate was my passion as well. So the two came together. So maybe can we talk a little bit about, about Zonda and then, sure. and then livable, but, but one thing, I mean, so urban analytics, of course, we were talking before we went live, but, but Michael Ferrer and John Benest have been on the show when sure. they ran urban analytics, then they were on as Zonda urban. Yeah. Um, so long time listeners of the show, like, yeah. wait a second, Zonda, not Zonda urban. Can you talk about, kind of the company and, and how it came about and what it is sure. and how it's different. Sure. So I, I had started a company called Myers Group. That was my original company. Had sold that. And then um, I had a three-year non-compete. And when that non-compete expired, I, I founded Zonda. And the, the idea of Zonda was to take a different approach and, and using the most modern technology on that approach. So at the time, the iPad had come out. So we decided that rather than do a desktop solution, that we do a native iOS solution. The other components were we wanted to do real-time data, so updating the site every day, not just, you know, quarterly. And then we, you know, we, we used a lot of techniques around getting builders to feed us data as well electronically. So we, we really disrupted our old business. And so in a time frame, we, we were able to grow pretty quickly. And th- there were some challenges. Number one was the analyst in, in home building. In, in the U.S., you have these large land acquisition apartments. That's where our product typically sits. 
And you have a lot of analysts that would say, well, wait a minute, iPad's a toy, right? But the senior executives, the CEOs are going, wait a minute, this just eliminated your job. So it was a little bit of a dichotomy and it was, it was a little tricky and not everyone had iPads. So we bought a lot of iPads, but if you're going to sell a hundred to $500,000 a year contract buying a dozen iPads is no big deal. Sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll especially supply, when it's auto-renewal we'll subscription. So it's kind of easy. So we we did that. We we grew the company quite quickly and it was being funded by a public company called uh, Kennedy Wilson. Great partners. And, you know, in being this is not my first rodeo, the CEO of Kennedy Wilson, it was a startup. We had zero revenue, but he funded it with 20 million. So it wasn't like, you know, this angel investment, series A, series B. He just funded the whole thing. And, you know, when someone invests $20 million in a software, you get a little nervous about how we're going to ever get that money back. So about year five, you know, we, we'd been growing about 50 to 75% revenue per year. So really, really moving quickly. He said, hey, it's time to exit, you know. And, and, and so we did a roadshow, um, typical that I'd done this before. And um, I hired the investment banker. And, and we had multiple offers, but then we had one in the very end that said, listen, we really, and I said, we've got enough. Like we don't need, you know, doing these roadshows is very tiring. After the the final roadshow meeting, both my CFO and I, uh, who's been with me, she's been with me about 25 years, said this one was different. They knew way too much about our business. Turned out they had tied up my old business, Myers Group, which has been sold to Hanley Wood. And so we ended up he said, what I want to do is buy both companies and make you CEO. So he brought the two companies. So they were number one. We were the number two. We're like the Avis trying harder and you know trying yeah, to yeah. overcome the old business. And they had also bought, after buying Myers Group, they bought another company called Metro Study. So they were the largest. We were number two. We brought the two together to become the largest data company serving home building in the U.S. So that happened in December of uh, 2018. And so that's what created Zonda. It also, Zonda also includes a pretty good size B2B media company, media and events. So we do about 100 events a year. We own Builder Magazine, Apartments, uh, Multifamily Executive, Architect, we're the official guide for the AIA. And then we, but really about 65, 70% of our business is in data. So that, that's the core culture of the company. I'm just thinking about the U.S. is a, is a big place with lots of different markets. And how complicated was it kind of expanding in the U.S.? I think about Canada and I think it's almost like no two real estate markets oh, it's, are the same. <laughs> no, and, and you know, there's one thing, and I, I, we had an event here locally called, we call it Insiders, kind of the livable insiders, because we, we bought, purchased a li- listings company here as well. Yeah, you don't want to be homeschooled. And I think my first experience was going from California to Texas, it's like a different company. It's like going from Vancouver to Quebec, right? It's, it might as well be a different country. Right. And one of the gentlemen, you know, first of all, they don't, you know, in California, we pre-plot a lot of our lots. You know, homes get pre-plotted onto lots and it's all pretty easy to track. In Texas, they don't do that. They can put any house on any lot, anywhere. They have spot building. I mean, it's really complicated. And I'll never forget when you first get there. I mean, Texans don't always like Californians. So they're like, oh, who's this guy from California? He's kind of clueless. Yeah, yeah. Then they put their arm around you and said, you know, we're going to take you on the next hunting trip. Well, I've never picked up a gun. <laughs> I mean, it's just, so you see these kind of cultural differences right. in real estate that that we've had to learn. And so I learned that in my first business. 
because we grew grassroots kind of one market at a time, Zonda was nationwide day one. So we just, because we had the funding, we just went immediately you know, nationwide. Right. Love to hear about Livable, which I think a lot of listeners are going to know. Sure. But before we get there, I'm just curious. So you're, you're from Vancouver, you go to the U.S., you go across the U.S., California, Texas, right, populations Florida, sure. larger than Canada, uh, each each state. Coming back to Vancouver, what's been your impression? How is it different, if at all, and kind of a general thought on the on the Vancouver real estate market? Yeah, I, th- I think it was um, the reason we came here was to purchase Urban Analytics initially, um, and then we purchased another company, BuzzBuzz Buzz Home, in Toronto. But coming back um, and and now going to meetings with developers in person myself, I was like, I, I'm sort of customer facing. I like to know what customers think and and are feeling. And and I think what what amazed me is just how large the Vancouver real estate market is. I mean, it's like 12 billion. Toronto's like 14 billion. I mean, these are huge markets, and the dollars that flow through these markets are much bigger than I think a lot of U.S. I mean, in the U.S., it's always bigger and better, right? That's what people think. But you kind of disregard sometimes your neighbors. And I think the Vancouver market is is a very robust market, huge dynamics, and, and really hard to understand. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still learning. So I, I, I don't know that for the listeners or today, I, I have you know a ton of great insights, but I think there's some insights from U.S. And that, that might be interesting as well. And is Canada, like I've known, um, I've heard, or we've heard that um, Zillow and other platforms have had some challenges in Canada. And a lot of it is maybe based how our, our boards operate or, yeah. um, it, it, has Canada posed some, some complications? It, it's definitely different. And, and I feel, you know, we purchased three companies here. We purchased, you know, Urban Analytics, which is a high rise data product that that's right. very focused on that uh, new construction. We purchased... BuzzBuzz Home, which is a listing platform. And then we purchased another company in Montreal called AlphaVision, which is a digital solutions. So I think the, the the commonality, it is very different, I agree. But but in it, you know, we're a data company first. So we focus on how do we get the most comprehensive, complete, and accurate database first. And then going into the listings business is turning it on its head and basically saying, because we're a data company first and we have to be comprehensive, 100% census, that we can turn that over to the consumer. So our goal with Livable, which is the new rebranded BuzzBuzz Buzz Home listing site, is to be the most comprehensive you know, listing platform in North America for new construction. We don't mix used homes with new homes. That's a that's a that's definitely a theme of our idea. And the... And the what you'll see, you know, we're fit, we're inning one of Livable. We hired a senior executive from Zillow to run it, Justin LaJoy. He's been eight years running engineering and product development at Zillow. So we're, we're investing, it's where we're putting the most money and investing the most because we want to be, and, and we believe that it's a $400 billion industry, new construction in North America. The Zillows of the world, everyone else think it's, you know, oh, it's only 10%. It's too small. We think they're wrong. It is a huge industry. It's been underserved and we want to be the company to serve it. Can we talk about, so this is kind of two sides of the same coin. What is it solving for the developer industry? And then what is it solving for the the home purchaser? Yeah, I mean, you know, and Justin's taught me this coming from Zillow. I mean, consumer first, you've got to do a platform that serves the consumer well. And I think, you know, there's just so many differences in how you search and buy 
you know, and transact a new construction home. You have these product launches in Vancouver, you know, you're pre-selling three years out. Right. You know, very different than a resale where you get that instant gratification of, I can see the home, I can walk it. So what we're going to do on our listing platform, a lot of the, the virtual solutions are already in market. You know, you can go to a project here and go to the sales presentation. You see the most modern digital solutions, probably anywhere in North America. What we're going to do is bring those to our listing platform. So the ability to actually tour and see a home, not just on the builder's website, but on our website, so that you can see it all in one place. Because people are not, they're, they're purchasing something that's not built yet. So how can we take that experience to make it real and, and bring it all the way home? The other thing we're going to do is bring the industry to the consumer. And there's a big, you know, if you look at all the rock star realtors, like whether it's, um, you know, million dollar listing or selling on Sunset, you know, they sort of glamorize the realtor, which, which I think is great, but why not glamorize the developer and the architect and the sales and marketing agencies that, that make these communities what they are and so great? Mm-hmm. It's actually an industry that, that I believe has been sort of unnoticed by the consumer, and we're going to bring that forth. So we're going to, you'll see us, um, you know, on the website, we, we hired a gentleman from Twitter who actually worked at the news desk at Globe and Mail. So he's Canadian, really strong editorial. He not only oversees our editorial and our B2B platforms, he oversees our editorial to the consumer. And that's we did that on purpose so we can bring, you know, the industry to the consumer. It's a huge area for us. Yeah, that's so interesting because um, we've been talking to the development community for eight years here sure. and we kind of fell into it. I think we were talking before we went live about kind of the genesis of the show in it and it literally is just kind of followed the interests you know layers of the onion you're going deeper and deeper and it turns out they're just really interesting conversations but they're conversations that you can almost like thinking about vancouver not to pump our own tires but you don't really hear from the development community and a lot of people that we ask to come on are like "Eh, i'm not really that i'm not kind of behind the scenes like everybody's kind of a behind the scenes guy but then they come on and it's like man what I mean, look, talk about insight. The, I mean, look at some of the buildings here. Yeah. Whether it's Bosa or West Bank, I mean, and the architecture is spectacular. You have world class architecture, and it'd be great to get to know the the leaders that are making this all happen. Right. Because it, it's it's one of the you know very special cities in North America, and I think the big difference here in um, Vancouver that I noticed because I also have a home in Seattle, um, and you know. You know, in Vancouver, you have more residential than office. In Seattle, you have the reverse. So it's almost like a 70-30. And you can just see with the demise of office, how Seattle's been just deteriorated. I mean, it's really unfortunate. It was starting to come up. And then as soon as COVID hit and everyone went home and worked from home, it's, you know, a huge trend. You know, Vancouver stands up a lot stronger. And and you can see the differences. You know, Seattle restaurants are still boarded up. Retail's boarded up. The riots were just astounding. And so it's just, it's you see, you know, some of the great cities are not what they used to be. Like San Francisco, right. you know, we're part of a big builder show called Pacific Coast Builders Conference. They've moved to Anaheim because San Francisco, they had so many incidents with homeless and all these difficult problems that these cities have really, you know, deteriorated a lot, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's I, I wonder if uh, we often lump ourselves in with West Coast cities, but... Right. but when you think about, say, someone like uh, Vancouverism, uh, Larry Beasley, um, designing and putting residential units at the ground level, I mean, mm-hmm. you wonder if if good urban planning 
will in many ways prevent us from having the same pitfalls. Yeah, no, I mean, I was involved in ULI and was a chair council person. And when ULI was here in Vancouver, the, the national program, there's a lot of interest in what Vancouver, it's very famous as being one of the one of the greatest urban communities anywhere in the world. So I think there's a, and you know, the programs from UBC and, and so forth really have a lot of notoriety. Mm-hmm. And our industry looks at that very carefully. Is, is there a city in the U.S. or, or anywhere that you've worked in that you that you look to for guidance coming into a market like Vancouver? You know, in, in the high rise, I mean, clearly the biggest high rise market we database today and is is Manhattan. So you know, that's that's a very large you know urban community. Miami, in a different sense, is is similar. A lot of immigration that drives that market. It's almost like a, a resort business, obviously. So I think I think that would be the closest would be Manhattan. However, we're we're learning a lot from Urban Analytics that acquisition because they did a better job of databasing high rise than we did in our in our oh, previous. Yeah, so so we're yeah we we didn't categorize things by concrete wood frame townhome. We didn't categorize things by how many elevators to the units or how many units per floor. I mean, it's just a, it's a different context because we come from production home building, which is horizontal. Vertical is very different, you know, or charging per parking stall, things like that, that we just weren't as, 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 you know, we, we didn't understand that. So hiring, you know, when we acquired this firm, John and Michael, I mean, they brought a lot of expertise and we have a platform called the Enterprise, which is our, you know, our, our most recent software platform we launched mm, two years ago. We're on version three, Enterprise 3.0. John is helping us redesign that platform for urban and so we'll 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 once we get that completed, we'll we'll put that in twelve cities in the U.S. as well. So that's kind of where we're going. Huh. Just maybe thinking back to the the comment about Seattle and San Francisco, we have a commercial real estate podcast as well, and it seems like at least in BC, the commercial commercial real estate's fared a lot better than sure. the San Francisco market, or yeah. or even in Alberta. Thinking about residential, though, there does seem to be some trends, you know, that I think a lot of us talk about locally, like. Where's all the inventory? There's just not, there's nothing to buy. Yeah. And yet you look, like I saw in the New York Times yesterday, they had a headline, why is nobody selling their homes? So clearly it's, it's yeah, at they, least a North American wide trend. I'm just wondering, how, how's the market from your vantage point here in Vancouver? And is there, are there challenges that are kind of a, across the board or is it kind of hyper-local markets still? Yeah, there, there's a lot in that question. So I'll, I'll cover a, cu- a couple of things. Number one is inventory. We we have a chief economist, Ali Wolf, who's on CNBC, Bloomberg, very very prominent, and so I get a lot of information from Ali. But I think I think the one thing they have to understand is the mortgage industry. So a, cu- a couple of things that are different this cycle versus last. So first of all, average credit scores were north of seven hundred in the U.S. this time versus you know under under yeah yeah <laughs> under six hundred whatever you know. So so the credit worthiness of the borrower was much stronger. Number two is there's the lowest interest rates in U.S. history. And don't forget in the U.S. we have 30-year fixed. 90% of households today are on a 30-year fixed mortgage under 5%. And 70% are under 4%. So what we call it is the great lockdown. If you have a 2 3% mortgage, you're not moving. Because what you yeah, know, you, you? rates have doubled. So because of that impact inventory in the U S on the resale side is only 2.6 months. 
And so a lot of the naysayers, especially the press, came out and said, oh, you know, it's going to be like 08, inventory is going to go up. And we're like, it's not. Who's, who's going to sell? And guess what? Their mortgage payment's not changing because it's fixed. So what you have is a market that resale market is extremely tight. You know, sales are down because listings are, there, there's no inventory. And so that, that, that's been the great um, lockdown. In Vancouver, you know, your, your inventory is about 3.9 months on the resale side. So a little bit higher, you have mortgages that, you know, three to five year fixed. So they are going to start turning, but you, you have something called immigration that is a huge advantage, not only to Canada, but Vancouver specifically. I think immigration in BC will be over a million, which is, you know, uh, 34% growth, where in the U.S. it's 19. And so we've, you know, our immigration policies in the U.S. are are, are not, you know, it's been a, let's face it, our politics are are not the smoothest uh, in, in the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little challenging. To, and it looks like we're going to have, a, might even have the same candidates as last time. So that's that's not encouraging. But either way, you know, because of that immigration, you have this built-in demand that's that's amazing. One concept, though, that, that you mentioned I want to talk about, and it's been something that's really, because we're owned by private equity, and we're I'm one of 40 CEOs on a call every week. You know, the office business has changed forever. And when COVID hit, you know, we closed 38 offices and everybody home. And we've been working from home ever since. And we're 75% remote work. We've closed, mm, we went from 38 to 12. So we've pretty much closed. And we, we're saving four or five million a year in office space. Wow. So it's, you know, it's a big benefit to the company. And it's interesting, but, but this work from home is something. And what I tell our builders, which I think anyone in residential construction should be considering, is the office is your new competitor. You should look at a home at making it the best office environment mm. you possibly can and look at those commercial office buildings and say, that's my competitor. Because if you think about it, it's utilization of space, right? It's like, and so we've been talking about this and following it. Now you're seeing what's happening. I mean, for example, you know, Zillow in downtown Seattle is vacated all but one floor. I mean, you're, and Amazon has mothballed many of their campuses. Mm -hmm. And so, and even if you say in the best case scenario, we go to a hybrid model, it reduces the footprint by 50%. So, and you're seeing the, you know, Brookfield's given back, Brookfield's the largest landlord globally, mm -hmm. right? They own more office space than anyone. I mean, they're giving the keys back because most of this debt is non-recourse. They're just giving the keys back. So you're getting offices going back to market there's over 90 billion in CMBS loans in the U.S. coming due this year, so so the the hope is that that this doesn't become what became the big financial <laughs> right. decline of the 08s. This time it's not housing, it's office, and so the press has got it all wrong. They keep focusing on housing. It's like guys, it's office. You could see it coming three years ago. Mm -hmm. They finally now are paying attention because the defaults are starting to take place. So I think it's, you know, and, and I think what you're seeing, and, and I listened to a podcast or a presentation by, you know, Adam Newman, uh, we work and he's a pretty crazy right, guy. Right, right, I right. probably saw we crashed. <laughs> yeah. But him and Mark Andreessen, he talked about, you know, just community overall. And, you know, he's getting into the multifamily space. Right. And what he's really doing is blending we work with multifamily. And it's pretty brilliant. And, and so in my mind, the utilization of space and how we, it's just so much more efficient. Why the and and this is why you're seeing you're asking about what markets also are going to be stronger. 
we're seeing the secondary and tertiary markets starting to take off because people right. are able to work from anywhere. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. And so we saw that during COVID and we talked a lot about secondary tertiary markets being so strong. And then a lot of people's expectation was, okay, it's going to be a revert back to the city. And it hasn't really happened. I mean, it seems like the tertiary markets are still very active. Yeah. And even yeah. south of the Fraser, like those markets, they slowed when interest rates started getting jacked, it slowed right down and it seemed slower than say Vancouver, but they're back and they're back in a big way. Like it didn't have the, what people were foreseeing didn't actually happen. So it sounds like that's a a longer term trend. That's not yeah, a COVID I, thing. I think though, you know, the difference in Vancouver that gives me encouragement around Vancouver, the, the, the urban core, it's just, you know, the services are great. You know, it, it feels comfortable to walk around. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's survived much better than a lot mm -hmm. of the U.S. cities because, you know, I, I always laugh because I get friends that move to like Kalispell, Montana, right? And they're going to live, work from there, live there. And then they go to Main Street, Kalispell, and there's three restaurants, <laughs> and they they move from New York. You eat it yeah, you're them. like like okay. I've I've done these three restaurants. Yeah. They're great, farm to table, what have you. But you know, you know the world class city like Vancouver, the services are spectacular. Well, people still want to be there. So I think in the end, in an environment where you can work from anywhere, and I think why offices probably been survived here a little better than other markets, because you know you have units that are like three four hundred square feet. Who wants to sit? in a 400 square foot, you know, studio suite all day and order DoorDash three times a day. I mean, it's just not healthy. Right. So getting out and getting into a, a bigger office is something that I think will still be there. So I, I you know, and, and again, you don't have the, you know, the overbuilt office uh, situation that a lot of the American cities have because it's really, they're mostly a reverse where office makes up 70% of the, the space in a lot of these urban cores. Mm-hmm. So with the lack of inventory across North America, I'm just thinking the, the lockdown uh, you're talking about Mortgage, in the U.S. Right. And, and immigration, I think, is kind of the key in Canada. Are you seeing there being big opportunities for builders at this point? Is this like, wow, the tables have kind of turned and, and there's a real opportunity to build? Because obviously, 
new construction, people buying sure. those are, are at that higher interest rate. So does it lead to more supply coming on? Yeah, development is the only opportunity for supply. And so because the resale market's so tight, both in Canada and U.S., you know, we feel very fortunate. And, and what we're seeing is, um, we saw, you know, we're seeing it, I think you had asked around livable and what we're seeing, we saw increased, you know, visitors to our site right starting in January. And so it's been a great selling season already. And in fact, in the U.S., I just got some numbers today, um, April actually exceeded last year's April. And now we're getting, you know, we're getting back to some comparison months because the market kind of slipped in May. Right. But we're starting to see increased activity. And, and a lot of that is to do, and, and we look at the bellwether year as kind of 2019 pre-COVID because let's face it, COVID created what you could call a real estate bubble. Mm-hmm. It, it was like went crazy, right? People were buying second and third homes and, you know, and the resort markets took off. So it'll be interesting to see. And real estate markets are not created equal. They're very localized. So you, you, we're starting to see certain markets that are stronger than others. And a lot of it, what you have here in Canada, which is, you know, Vancouver is a lot like California, very restrictive, incredibly high fees. And then they, you know, the, the officials wonder why they can't build affordable housing. Well, it's like, bring your fees down. Right. And don't, don't cause me three years to get a project approved. Right. Like it's obvious, like time is money. You know, and, and not that it's my favorite city in America. You go to Houston, you can still build those single-family homes under 300000 Why? Because you can zone something in six months. Right. So, you know, it, it's not the most beautiful, but it but it serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the officials really need to, you know, change their habits. And and rather than, you know, getting, you know, California is a perfect example. We have CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, that just makes development so difficult. Yeah, I've worked on communities that have been 10 years in the making. And like, it's ridiculous. Like right. really 10 years to get approved. That That's insane. And by the time the community got approved, the lowest price house in that community is a million dollars. And then the officials went, well, what happened? It's like, well, yeah, it's called 10 years. <laughs> it's yeah. like, of course. Well, and we're, we're landlocked and supply constrained. Right? right. So it's, it's, we've got many challenges in this market and, and it's quite obvious. So it sounds like what you're seeing then is with low inventory kind of across the board and demand, you know, I mean, at least in Canada with immigration and the U S with like the more, the lockdown, it sounds like you're seeing upward pressure on pricing or you're, or you're forecasting that. Yeah. We, we, you know, we just saw it reverse. We, we saw it come down in the fourth, fourth quarter was, you know, both here and U S was very slow. And in the U S there's a lot of, especially the public companies just trying to get their year end closed out not a lot of movement on, you know, moving forward, but we've seen a rebound. Um, it's pretty rate sensitive, but mm-hmm. we've seen at least a flattening to a small return to increase in prices again. And you you mentioned that not all markets are created equal. Do you have some markets that you're monitoring in the U.S. where you think there are opportunities for growth and or where you're seeing kind of uh, like, I guess, superstar kind of cities in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've seen... Um, Florida is one of the better states, mainly because it, it's also an easier state to get development activity. So you can still build fairly affordable. And you've had a big migration because this move, you know, to work from home, a lot of New Yorkers are migrating to Florida. Right. California, surprisingly, in some of the move up areas has been pretty strong, but California's had a lot of out migration. People leave the state. The markets that are a little more difficult, Phoenix, Vegas, 
where they had big run-ups in price, right. uh, driven by Californians moving there to get affordable housing. Um, and it's a, you know, Phoenix and Las Vegas are much easier to gain entitlements and get product moving into the system. And then Texas has also seen some softness, but it's it's seeing recovery now. And it's also a market, the number one and two markets in the U.S. are, you know, Dallas and Houston. They do the most permits and, and the most active developments. It may be framing it a different way and not to put you on the spot. If if a mom and pop investor is interested in investing, buying a single home or single unit in the U.S. Uh, right now, what market would you be like, this is a, <laughs> this is a sure thing? <laughs> And and uh, not a sure thing is uh, in yeah, the, yeah. we'll preface we'll preface this with nothing's a sure thing, but where's your money going? Where's the smart money going? Uh by next to my house. <laughs> that? No, I, I, that's a really good question. And it's funny, I used to speak at LA Times used to have a home buyers conference and they'd always say people would always ask, like, where would you buy a house? You know, it's funny, but I think you want to buy it, it's pretty, pretty obvious, but you want to buy where it's safe good schools, and the future is promising. I, I just, and I know it's later on one of your questions is what book. I read a book called Move by an author, Prague. He's a really sharp guy out of Singapore, and he wrote this book, and it's all about climate change. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're thinking about where to, you know, I'd stay away from, and this may be, uh, you know, some of the hotter cities that are just getting hotter, and then some of the, you know, because insurance costs are also getting out of control. So I think I think you've got to live in some of these communities where it's just a, a great place to be. Services, I, I always look at, like, what would it be like every time I look at real estate? Like, what would it be like? What can I walk to? I think mm-hmm. walkable is very important. Because now with, with the ability to work from anywhere, I mean, we're on Zoom calls, you know, three, four hours a day. It's very efficient. Like I would have never, I, I own a home in Victoria, which is a great place, I think, to purchase because I think it's <laughs> I think it's just a great gem of a city. Beautiful, great climate. I think it's the warmest climate in, in Canada. Right. It has much less, little bit less rain than here in Vancouver. But but I would have never thought, like I was going home on weekends. Now I can stay there for weeks and just work from my home. And I would have never considered that pre-COVID. Right. So that change starts looking at these secondary and tertiary markets that are just beautiful, but also have the support services that say, hey, I, I could really enjoy living here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so not I, just three restaurants. Yeah, exactly. So so it's more than just a callous bell. It's a little bit of a micro city that makes you feel like, okay, there's enough here that I feel comfortable. And it, it, So I think those are the cities that are really going to take off because people want to be in an environment that's... You know, and things like hiking and biking and all this stuff is so popular today that I think that being close to the environment is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny, but um, we were talking a little bit about Chip Wilson before we turned on the the mics, but that was um, the lifestyle that Vancouver affords that you can be healthy and outside all the time and, and everything's so walkable. You know, it really kind of puts it in that future city kind of perspective. No, it, it's amazing. I've lived in California for 30 years. And you think with the weather, right? It's like 70 degrees. I mean, my wife first moved there. She's like, I don't even watch the weather because there's no reason. It's always 70 degrees yeah. and sunny, yeah. right? And this is a way more walkable community than California. Like like in more, most cases. And then even outdoor seatings and restaurants. You're like, why not? You're in California. And COVID really helped change that because they started the you know, all the sidewalk 
dining and all that kind of thing. And I think they've realized that there's a lot of city restrictions that didn't allow it. Yeah, it's funny. I was in Vegas last week and uh, I walked outside of the strip. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're crossing like a eight uh, oh, yeah. lane uh, highway, you know, just that's ridiculous to go anywhere. It, yeah, it's nearly impossible to walk. Um, no, it's, it, it, you know, the scale, that's what I love about Victoria, like the speed limits, you know, 20 to 30 kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> and so like when you go to bed at night, don't hear a car. Right. Like in California, you hear the buzz of the freeways because you know, the speed limit's 60, 70 miles an hour. Right. And people do 80. So it's like, no matter how far away you are from the freeway, you can still hear it. In move maybe shifting back a little bit to livable because I'm I'm kind of I I want to make sure I I unpack kind of the user experience a bit for sure. for home buyers and then talk about so so the markets that livable will be operating in in Canada. Sure, it's um well today we're in and just to back up for a second so so because we're a data business first yeah you know and we're expanding the uh, urban analytics on an urban platform today. And so the, 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 the databases cross. So we, we basically feed data from our research platform to the listing platform. And why we discovered this, I mean, it's been done in a number of different industries, but it's the ability to, to get all communities. So we're, we're expanding into a lot of these secondary and tertiary markets as we speak. So today we're in all the major cities. We expanded into Toronto. So Ottawa, we, we are going to do Montreal ultimately. We just went through that, but it's just, you know, as Talk you got different, yeah. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, yeah things you got to cover when you, when I remember my CFO when we first closed on the Montreal business. She goes, Jeff, yeah, we own we, we bought a company in India. It's almost as hard buying a company in Quebec. <laughs> yeah. We have a, we have like a bunch of engineers in India, but that's a different story. But no, we are Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. We are going to be doing. Uh, we added Kelowna, Victoria. We're adding uh, Regina, Halifax. We're basically going to cover. We'll we'll be the largest data, right? So right across, right across. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the The goal is to be again the most comprehensive. In the U.S., we're close to seventy percent of all new construction. I don't know the exact percentage yet in Canada, but we just approved another twelve markets that John put forth to add here in Canada. So a lot of these secondary, tertiary markets, because you know they're they're robust communities and they're growing fast. And so people see, like hypothetically, I'm interested in. New construction in Kelowna, I go on Livable, I can see the projects that are currently selling. Sure. Can I, do I set up an appointment from there? Is it just information? Like what's the... Yeah, I mean, our our goal is really want to take the friction away from home buying to create the smoothest process from top of funnel. And and you'll see the company get closer to transaction. You know, in many markets, and we're starting to see this. We worked on a on a project with one of our larger clients in um, in the U.S., Taylor Morrison, and they're actually taking deposits. You know, even even a hundred dollar deposit becomes a much more qualified lead than just somebody you know filling out a, right. a form, right. right? So what we're seeing is similar way Tesla transacts. Right, you can fill out a you know you can basically buy a car online. You think you've bought it. It's a hundred dollar refundable deposit, but it makes a big difference mm-hmm. because that lead is qualified now because they feel like that hundred dollars makes me engaged. Mm-hmm. So those are much higher qualified leads. So that that's something we're looking at, and and you know we're going to ultimately take a look at hard, and and we'll do it. And and every market's a little different. You know, high rise. Um, we find like in Toronto, there's a lot of rock star realtors that bring groups of buyers in to 
take 20, 30 units at a time. Mm-hmm. So you got to you got to definitely serve those realtors as well. In the production home world in the U.S., as the market got uh, accelerated, some of the builders turned off broker co-op. So you, you get that kind of dynamic. Right, so right. We're, we're, we want to be flexible and serve the whole community. So, you know, brokers, builders, but we also want to make sure we do what's right for the consumer first. And, and when we think about, like specifically, because both of us have operated in the pre-sale market for 15 years and, sure. and access is one of the biggest challenges Sure. Uh, almost always, right? Especially in busy markets. So do you see this as potentially leveling the playing ground? Yeah, I mean, data transparency, it's funny, I li- listened to Elon Musk today. I mean, they have pricing transparency, right? Which is, you know, they don't have MSRP and all that kind of silliness. I mean, they're very focused around pricing transparency. Mm-hmm. So, and I know developers are very cautious around releasing prices and, and there's a whole, and Vancouver is a very sophisticated market when it comes to high rise and how they launch communities and how they release pricing, probably, you know, really one of the best in North America by far. And so we're learning about that. I mean, we, you know, again, going back to this notion of a data company first. So, so just so you understand, we track the whole construction life cycle. So we, we track from raw land through mapping so we could, not that we're going to do this, but we could actually release information about a site three years out before the developer ever breaks marketing. Hmm. We could do that because we know. And then we track construction stages. So we bought a company in Glasgow, Scotland. And that's where our data science team sits. And we use um, artificial intelligence. We've trained an algorithm basically using multiple satellite imagery. So streaming satellite imagery, it looks for grading, change detection on the ground in real time, then it notifies us. And what we've been able to do is train the algorithm to track construction stages. So in the U.S. in production housing, slab, frame, completed homes, it's about 70% of our database is now tracked through an algorithm. We're doing the same for high-rise now. So we've been working, John's been working here locally in the Vancouver market so we can track all the construction without having to physically go visit. So we can do it through satellite. Because our satellite imagery, because we have four distinct sources, it's updated as often and it's daily. So it's, it's, you know, if you look at Google Earth, it could be a year or two years old. Ours is, 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 is very expensive, but, but because we're just using it in spot cases, we can track this, these activities very frequently. So it's super exciting. So, so, we can, so we track everything and then we, you know, we, we track the seller entities all the way to final close deed. So it's, it's, a, it's a complete view of the new home construction market. And so being able to release some of that information to the consumer. So pictured like on a consumer, they want, they say, gee, there's a dot on that map or there's a community. A couple of things we'll do differently. If it's a master plan, we put the whole site plan up on the site, not just a dot. Because if you look at the big, you know, most of the portals today, whether it's Zillow, Realtor.ca or, you know, any of the other sites, what they do is you'll have one used home right next to an 80 unit development mm-hmm. and they're a dot on the map. You're like, wait a minute, that's 80 units. Shouldn't it get a little higher profile <laughs> than the, the guy with the one used home? So you'll see because we're new construction only and a horizontal framework, we will have, that's why we bought the company in Montreal. Well, the full digital site map. And then ultimately you'll be able to pick your house on our site map and put a deposit down is, is kind of the future 
of where this could go. And are you um, just thinking about how much data is released? Is, is this released to the general public or is it behind a paywall or like, can I go on there and... and no, you can't go on there yet and see all of that, but that's where we're going. It, it yeah. won't be behind a paywall. It'll be... It'll, it'll be accessible. It, yeah. And so maybe flipping that on its head. So there's there's reams of data probably most people haven't thought of mm. uh, that will be available or some of it will be available to consumers. The flip side to that is how useful Livable is for providing data to developers, right? Sure. Yeah, so th th there will be, like, sales data won't be on the consumer site. Right. Right? We're not going to release, like, how many sold or, that. you know, the, right. all the dynamic data. You know, pricing data will, will be there, as, you know, depending. But but for our featured listings, the, the, the developer has full control of what they want to put on and off. But what we're doing for free listing, because we're a free-to-list model, because we want to be comprehensive. So it's just like if you go to Google, you expect everything, mm -hmm. right? Well, that's the way we look at it. You expect every development to be on our site. So the, the BuzzBuzz home originally has been a data. They had a research data business. Now what we've done is we've taken the urban analytics data team and combined it. So we have one data center feeding both platforms. But the, the, the variables on, on each of the sites is different. Mm-hmm. I feel recently like I was blindsided by AI and chat GPT and everything else. Right. But I also don't pay that close attention to what's what's changing on that on that front. Sure. How has that been incorporated into like are you um people are talking about how it sure. could potentially be used in data, right? I'm Yeah, I mean we you know, we've been using it in our editorial team. You know, can it, it, it's not perfect. So right. you still got to review things. Good. Yeah, it's it's pretty <laughs> darn good. We've been using it in some of our marketing platforms. Like we have a high-rise conference coming up in in South Beach, Miami. It's called Elevate, and um, we asked Chat GPT, and it's it, what's the best tagline for a high-rise conference? They said the art of high-rise living. We said, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> done. It's like well, done. We're done. We went with it. So it's it's pretty, you know. And then our data science team, you know, in Scotland, because University of Edinburgh has a really strong data science program. So that's that's how we were able to acquire this company there. We've got a team there. So they're they're looking into various applications of this. I mean, it, it speeds up coding. I mean, it's got so many implications. I mean, there's just I don't know enough about it yet. I feel like I, I know I, I'm more a practitioner. I know what we want to go to and how then our CTO can help us figure out like how can this accelerate. I think in the search area it could be really interesting. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to search things differently. And, and give give results to people in a much more efficient way. And I, I just it was making me think about earlier in the conversation when you were talking about like the horizontal and the vertical communities. Right. What have been the biggest? I guess in thinking about transacting, are mm -hmm. they pretty much the same? Like, the, are there? Does it does it change? Yeah. The the user experience, like buying, say, in a large single family detached community or or high rise. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you have companies like Concord Pacific that have master plan communities, and those are like 16, 18 towers. And then you have a horizontal community, like the largest landowner in the U.S., I, I think now is Brookfield, because they bought Newland. So they own, you know, Canadian company, but right. they own these large horizontal master plans. So when you're on livable, you know, high rise, you might see the site plan, but it's, you know, it's like three acres. Right. Whereas in a horizontal co context, it could be 3,000 acres. And so what you'll see in that context, you'll see 
the entire map of the master plan. We're the largest collector of master plan communities. We have over 1,200 in the U.S. Those are communities, 1,000 units or more that we database um, every month. And what we're going to do is put those entire maps, site maps, on the site. So you'll see all the community amenities, so the pools, you know, the gyms, the fitness centers, um, pickleball, which is huge and in, in, in huge and fast-growing sport. You'll see all that. So as a, as, a, as a consumer, you'll get to experience, like, this is what the neighborhood looks like without even physically visiting it. Mm-hmm. And today, those master plans on most of the big real estate portals, they're a dot on the map. It could be 10,000 units. It's a dot on the map. You will see the whole map. And so that's why I bought Alpha Vision. Alpha Vision is extremely scalable. Um, with them, we bought a, a, a you know India engineering firm. And so we're we're now taking all the maps that we collect from the municipalities and we're digitizing those. So that when you come to this site, it's not a dot on the map, it's the whole map. And this is sort of geographically spread. We're starting off in Arizona. So in Phoenix, we're going to digitize all the maps. And then we'll be doing um, Canada as well, which is a little different effort because it's high rise in, in most cases for us. Um, but but it'll be a completely different experience. And, and it's, you know, it's, again, we have this advantage because we're a data company first. So we're collecting all the maps. We, we don't have to go to the developer and say, can we use your map? It's a public record. Right. We just go grab the map from the city and then we'll we'll put those site maps onto our onto our listing platform. And this is, I'm talking, this isn't happening tomorrow. You know, I'm sure my developers back at the office, like, what, what's he's talking about? This <laughs> is more notes, the vision. Uh, yeah. This is where we're going? <laughs> this is where we're going. So it's, it's, it's a vision we've had, but it's, um, I don't know, Justin, you know, I'm really excited. I mean, we picked the date we're going to rebrand from BuzzBuzz Buzz to Livable. We want a little more professional name and, um, really excited here locally. We're breaking marketing. So you'll see us television, radio, billboards, social. I mean, we're doing across Canada. That's our big launch is here in Canada first. Oh, wow. It's funny, but I, you know, for this, for Zillow and the, the, the big companies that have come mm-hmm. into Canada that have had some challenges with the Canadian market, the pre-sale, the new construction seems much more feasible to do this. Oh, for sure. Um, like you don't, just, yeah, you don't have, you, you don't, mentioned the boards you don't and have all the, the challenges. challenges. Yeah, yeah. It's like you would just avoid all that. Yeah, it seems like such a, I mean. Well, it, it, funny, because I, kn- I know one of the founders of Zillow, um, really smart, Spencer Raskoff, really smart guy. And we've had debates around new construction. And, and the view is by most, and they're paying attention to it now, because their view is, oh, it's, it's only 10% of the market. Well, today... In most markets, it's 30 to 50% of the market. So it's much bigger. And it's still a $400 billion plus industry. It's huge. Mm-hmm. But the, but they look at the resale market as so much bigger. And that's fine. So we're happy they focus on that. And and the problem is, is you can't... Jamming a new development into a resale context is very hard. It doesn't work. And that's what they've done. Mm-hmm. So so they take a you know used home context with, here's a variable of, of resale home. So... You look at an 80-unit development, so what do the builders do? They put one home into that used home concept. It doesn't work. And so that's why we think this is something that, you know, BuzzBuzz started out. You know, Matt Slesky founded the firm 8, 10 years ago, but it was underfunded. So, you know, we're bringing the capital needed to really execute, and then we're bringing, you know, the largest database in North America and bringing it to the consumer. So, so that's, the big, that's the big advantage that we have. 
Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Jeff, we do have these five lighthearted yeah, questions yeah, that we go. end every show with. I'm still going to ask it. One book you'd recommend? Are you going to go with Move or? You know, I just started one today called Winning, which is by Tim Grover. Oh yeah, and it's the one with uh, you know he, he taught Michael Jordan, Jordan and yeah. Kobe huh. and. You know, one of the quotes he had today that really stuck with me is um, winning is unbalanced. And, you know, I I speak back at my university to a lot of uh, university students around entrepreneurialism and how did you do it? And, you know, I remember when I started my first firm, you know, it was 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And they all look at me like, you're crazy. Like, what about work-life balance? Right. That quote to me is if you want to be a winner, it's unbalanced. Right. There's so many, you know, there's so many challenges. You have to commit to go for it. So I, th- I think it's a really, I'm only like the third chapter, but it's really exciting. And and so that that's the book I would recommend. It's a great book. And he's got a great, he's got amazing content on uh, Insta. I follow him on Instagram and he's, he's awesome. It's funny because I just thinking about that. I've thought a lot about the kids grew up with that were exceptional athletes and all of them were unbalanced. Yeah, totally. Like they, <laughs> you know, it's like well, the crazy when they lose, a, they go insane. You're like, oh man. Well, it's the it same in, in CEOs, right? Like you, you can't tell me Elon Musk doesn't work 24 seven. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Is that guy like, like saying, oh, I need to calm down. I mean, yeah. he, I mean, there's no way. And every CEO I've met that is leading companies works all the time. Right. I mean, and there's no vacation. I mean, you just, you carry your phone or your, you know, you're, you're always on, on. So I think, I think it's just some of the, the young people today, I think they're so into this work-life balance, which, which is great. If that's what, if that's what works for you, that's fantastic. But I think there's a lot to say about the leaders and what it took to get there. Told you you're sleeping too much. Yeah. (laughs) In the last five years, Jeff, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Um, I I would say, I mean, I mean, I'm into fitness, so I think you know, I the one, you know, again with with COVID, it just accelerated this adoption of technologies. So I bought a Peloton. I used to be a member of Equinox, and because it's a cool gym and all that, but it's. The convenience of fitness is important. And so, I, I, you know, I think that's something that's changed my habit. Those Pelotons work for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? Mm, that's a good one. Let's see. I know the. it's usually my wife that tells me which shows we're going to watch. <laughs> I'd say The Crown is the one that we've watched most recently right. that, that we've been watching through. And you're not watching Succession? No, I've heard that's great though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got to yeah. check that one out. Definitely. Come, thinking back to your mobile disco days, uh, fa- favorite band or music? Yeah, well, I, I did play saxophone growing up. But in fact, at our we, we have a conference every year at the Ritz-Carlton in Dana Point. Uh, it's called the Builder 100. You take the largest 100 builders, CEO show up. It's about 400 people. And we had Kenny G this year. <laughs> no kidding. And it was really cool. At the Ritz-Carlton, you can't have a live band outside with drums and all that, but we could have him outside. So it was a beautiful evening, sunset, and he actually... What's cool is he played through the audience. But I'd say, I, I think my favorite today is um, Ed Sheeran. Oh, oh interesting. Nice. Yeah, I like Ed. And and the Kenny G, I'm just curious, like, because you played the saxophone, is he, is like, obviously he's good, but is he kind he's of a amazing. savant? I mean, the, the amazing thing and the, is his ability to, you know, recirculate his breath and play a note for, like, incredible length. But he was incredible. Huh. I mean, people... 
at the end of the performance, people like ran up, get a picture. A super nice yeah. guy, you know, um, lives in Southern California, grew up in Seattle, I guess. But um, he's remarkable. And, and the number of hits he's had is amazing. Right. You know, right. some of the millennials are like, this right. is elevator music. I'm like, yeah, yeah. but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and last but not least, Jeff, uh, something you've purchased for under $1,500 that's uh, had a positive impact on your life. I'd say the Peloton. That's the Peloton. That <laughs> fits that number. Although the recall just happened. I, I was, saw uh, that. Yeah, I, I haven't was on it last night and I was wondering if I was, uh, I was it was it pretty close to 200 pounds? What is the, oh, it's the uh, post, I it's, right? I, I think so. Yeah, I think it's something to do with the with the seat or the or the. We had a the co-host of the commercial podcast. Okay, he managed to fall off a Peloton. No way. I think more than once, which is treadmill or kind of bike. <laughs> The bike. the bike. No way. Yeah. 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 I think it's, you would think the treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, that is. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's been amazing having you on Jeff and uh, we you. really appreciate your time. We took a lot of it today. So how can people find out more about Zonda and livable and, and what you're up to? Yeah. I mean, Zondahome.com is a website, so it's not Zonda the car because it's a very expensive car <laughs> and livable is livable, L-I-V-A-B-L, no E.com. Right. So that's the website. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time, Jeff. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with the CEO of Zonda, Jeff Myers. Really enjoyed that conversation with Jeff. Very grateful that he joined us in studio as hot as it was in here. Man, very impressive guy. Tons of insights. I love the listing lockdown conversation on inventory. That was my biggest takeaway. I actually have been thinking about his couple comments about Vancouver. And like I, we joked in the the intro, know your audience, but I mean, I guess he's from here, but uh, two things. There's an entrepreneurial spirit here. Yes. And it's a very sophisticated market. I feel like I left uh, patting myself rightly or wrongly on the back. I've got a new respect for Polygon's ability to uh, line dance. Oh man, mobile, mobile disco. (laughs) Kind of a great idea, although I think I found the flaw when I joked about eight guys ordering a, a mobile disco and being like, the whole point is to find... What, what is the... I don't get it. I, okay. Keep, keep talking. Okay. The, the logic... I, hear, I, I, came up with a, I came up with a fault with the mobile disco. Is that if you're a person who's going to a disco, I would say at least 50% of the time, you're going to look for a potential partner. Okay. The whole point is to find people you don't know. Right, so a mobile disco. If you're bringing the disco to you, that's why I made the joke about eight guys getting uh, a mobile disco. It's like, where are the potential partners? Right? right. If you know everybody there, not so exciting. So what you're saying really is, when you, when you go to discos, you're looking for a significant other. It's worth pointing out I haven't been to a disco in a while. <laughs> yeah, since the '70s when you were since 25 they, years since old. Since they called it a disco. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, what else do we got before we cut for the day? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website. We mentioned it before, but it's worth mentioning again. It's revamped. It's revised. There is so much going on over there, including the live wire. This is our weekly mailer, VIP access to projects, back catalog, deal of the month, stats before anyone else. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. We also have Private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com slash PCS, or just click buy with us and you can sign up for your free account today. What a time to be monitoring listings, 
through a service that gives you instant sold prices when stuff sells, right? Oh, exactly. Uh, and this is the time you want to see because I got to tell you, everything I'm calling on right now is either waiting on offers or getting multiples. So don't let the list price fool you. Sign up for your own PCS account. What else, Matt? What else? Well, that's the buy with us button. We also have, of course, the sell with us button. Yeah, the sold plan, Matt. Start on launch date. It's your quick guide for getting your property ready for market. And you can go and click sell with us. You can get a sold plan, download it instantly. Lots of people from the industry downloading the sold plan. I think that's a good sign. Uh, that is a good sign. And uh, like we said before, if anyone gets anything from it, uh, whether they're in the industry or whether they're actually looking to sell with us, actually looking to sell, it's it's good overall. So we want you to get useful information from the content, and uh, we appreciate the VRep community. Follow us on Instagram and Matt. How can people get in touch? You can get in touch at any time seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we also got that Kokomo line, the nonpartisan line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Have a great week, guys. Last, I just want to say this before we cut for the day. There's been so many awesome people from the VRep community participating with Hallway House, uh, Jenny Conkin. Really? And, uh, uh, that's It's not a surprise. It's not. But- last, I just want to say this before we cut for the day. There's been so many awesome people from the VREP community participating with Hallway House, uh, Jenny Conkin. Really? And, uh, uh, that's It's not a surprise. It's not but a surprise. It uh, warms your heart a bit. Well, I got to say, I mean, it makes, uh, I mean, we're going to be doing more with Holy House uh, throughout the year and, and beyond, but I just, it, it does warm your heart. There's tons of super compassionate people making a difference too. So appreciate everybody who's posting on Instagram or other social media outlets about Holy House or uh, helping and uh, always appreciate the work that Jenny Conkin's doing. Have a good week. Stay cool. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.